The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. You agree that Apple may charge your credit card or PayPal account for any products purchased in the iTunes store. Can somebody please explain to me what is going on? We're trying to find out exactly what Kyle agreed to. There can't be anything in that agreement that allows a company to do what they're talking about to Kyle. Oh, no, here it is right here. By clicking agree, you are also acknowledging that Apple may show your mouth to the butthole of another iTunes user. Oh, boy. Apple and its subsidiaries may also, if necessary, sew yet another person's mouth onto your butthole, making you a being that shares one gastral tract. Hmm. I'm going to click on decline. Well, that does it. I'm going to the police. For what? To find out where Apple is keeping my son. Dude, when the police want to know where somebody is, they ask Apple. The only way we can fix all this is by going to the highest authority on the planet. You guys, we're going to have to ask help from the geniuses. The geniuses. The geniuses. Welcome to another episode of HTM Tech, brought to you by the HTM Podcast Network, also in association with Microplay in Brantford, Ontario, Canada. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching at the HTM Tech Pod. To listen to the podcast, you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all those other podcatchers out there as well. As always, I am Big Joe, and for the next little while, I am going to be doing the podcast solo. My co-host, Money Mike, does have a lot of other things on the go, uh, some personal, you know, life kind of gets in the way, but uh, he's, he's going to be uh, not with us for a little while, but he is going to be back. No, no, don't know where he's there, and uh, so I, I'm going to say probably for about a month or so, Mike has some other stuff on the go, but he will be back. And um, in the meantime, I'm going to go with a little bit of a different format here. going to be doing this solo for a little while and uh, shooting for kind of about the 30-minute, the half-hour mark, uh, bringing you just a, you know, a couple of the what I feel are some relevant um, news issues going on in the tech world and um, going to actually do a video game review at least once a week as well, as well as the usual tech tip and the Final bite segment. Now, of course, in our intro there, Lately, I've just been doing the uh, the South Park thing kind of almost every episode that you heard. The um, South Park guys kind of poking fun at the iTunes agreement. Now, this is something that, that I, honestly, I haven't done in a really long time. I agreed to the iTunes terms and conditions, and uh, it was very interesting that, uh, yeah, th- it's a really long thing to read. And apparently, well, at least in the South Park world, that they had agreed to sewing your mouth to the butthole of another iTunes user and et cetera and et cetera. And um, it's kind of a playoff the, of the really, really bad horror movie called The Human Centipede. It was called The Human Centipad. Um, another great moment in the episode two, Carmen gets this thing, this prototype that Apple makes and wow, it, you can play games on it. You can do email and you can do social media and it shits in Kyle's mouth. This is fantastic. Oh, just, just great stuff there from the guys at South Park. Now, the uh, the first thing I want to get to this week is this is going to be a very Apple-centric episode because, yeah, of course, uh, I, as you guys know, if you've listened to this podcast now, I am an Apple user. I do have an iPhone, iPad, iMac. The iMac is what I use to, to produce the podcast every week as well. Um, 
Going back to November 1st, Apple launched the Apple TV Plus platform. And it's been a mixed bag so far, I got to say. What uh, essentially what happened here when the, the launch happened is if you had purchased a new Apple device, if not just before or after the November 1st date, you received, oh, this was, of course, with the exception of the Apple Watch, was the only device that didn't count towards this. If you bought a new iPhone, if you bought a new iPad, iMac, uh, Apple TV, etc., you received a free year of Apple TV+. Plus. Now, this is this was a good thing, but I think that what they actually should have done with this is pretty much anybody who was a current Apple person who, if you have if you had an iTunes account, I think they should have extended this to the whole thing here. But you know, it was pretty good to, to do it to every person who bought a new device. It was it was kind of better than nothing. The thing with this, though, like I said, the service launched launched in November first, and. It's been a mixed bag. We, we've had shows like uh, the most kind of relevant ones that kind of stand out to me. It, it is a short list here. We have uh, a show called Servant, which is uh, being done by M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, Truth Be Told is, is a fairly new one. I don't think there's too many episodes of that yet. Uh, the Morning Show, uh, For All Mankind, C. Dickinson. Um, if I did mention C, that that's another one, uh, one of the main ones I've been kind of watching. Only they only have only done eight episodes. Uh, Helpsters, which is essentially Sesame Street, uh, kind of a modern version of Sesame Street. Uh, Ghost Rider, which I, I haven't had a chance to, to watch yet. Snoopy in Space, which, which I mean is pretty darn cool. Uh, some kind of what they're calling feature films. There's one called Hala, which I, I have not watched yet. Elf and Queen, I have watched. If you're somebody that's into National Geographic, has some, some good stuff there. But other than that, that's really kind of been about it. It's been over two months now, and the content has been pretty sparse. And the number that I've been seeing recently for how many people are subscribed to this thing, and this is kind of very telling here, 33 million people are subscribed to Apple TV+. Plus. But the catch being is that it's my suspicion as well as a lot of people in the, the industry here that a lot of those people are probably getting the service for free when they purchase their new Apple device. And the real kind of question mark now is, is this going to translate to people keeping the service once their free year is up? As it stands right now with the relatively low amount of content, I mean, I've watched through, you know, the, the main ones like uh, Servant, Morning Show, C, and whatnot, and there haven't been any new episodes in over a month or so now. And some of these other creators like Spielberg and whatnot are, are supposed to have done something on this platform, and it's still not been the case, so... I'm really going to wonder how many of those 33 million people that are essentially getting this for free are going to keep paying for the service when that runs out. They, they kind of ran into the same issue, I think, with uh, Apple Arcade, which launched at around the same time, that they only did a, a week-long free trial for that. And I think the, the amount of people using that really kind of dropped off again because the most of the games that they have on there are... are, are pretty casual and again they didn't really kind of deliver on a lot of these developers that were kind of looking to, to launch this platform and for, i mean for, for myself when it comes to gaming on the the mobile devices like for me it would be an iphone and ipad just something that's never really caught on for me outside of the occasional kind of 
casual game for for me my gaming platform of choice is a game console at home sitting on the couch in front of a large tv with a surround sound system that's just the way i prefer to play my games the like i said the odd casual game on the go but i I am nowhere near um what a lot of people do on this so it's something that uh that apple arcade thing it it was kind of cool to try out for the seven days but unfortunately for myself it just didn't it didn't hit home with me at all. So we'll see what this Apple TV plus it's, it's, it's been a real, like I said, hit and miss. And hopefully they can start cranking out some more content because right now I got to say, I'm kind of glad that I'm not paying for it because if I was paying the, the five ninety nine per month, I would be very, very disappointed because when you look at the competition out there, when you look at Netflix, which is, about I think ten ninety nine a month in Canada now it might be a, a touch more. I mean, there's there's so much content content out there, and I mean you're not paying that much more for it. Um, Disney Plus, which uh, launched shortly after Apple TV Plus, I believe, um, has a, a humongous library of already existing content and stuff that's going to come out, like the Mandalorian. Uh, I'm sure there's gonna be a ton of Star Wars content and and whatnot going forward. Apple TV Plus right now, I gotta say that they're they're suffering a little bit and. I've even seen some technology websites saying that they it might already be done. I think that's really jumping the gun there. But we're going to see going forward. And hopefully this is a good thing because the content that is there is pretty good. I mean, it syncs across your devices. It works as, as you would expect. You can download it for on the go for when you're on online. But just it's the amount of content that's the real issue right now. So fingers crossed that they can uh, figure that stuff out going forward. Now, a little bit more... Apple stuff here and people, uh, other people have been asking me, especially other people who are current Mac users or are looking to, to become a Mac user because, you know, they've become frustrated with the PC platform or for whatever reason, the people have been asking me, Joe, what's the, the best web browser to use on the, the Mac platform. And for me, it's, it's really kind of a no brainer when it comes to this and it's Safari. Now, the reason why is that, well, the main right off the bat, I mean, just it's it's the native web browser for the platform. So it's it, you know that's going to be optimized and it's going to run exactly how you expect it to. Just the, the design of the interface, it's just very minimalized, very, very simplistic. It, it works exactly like it should. When you're scrolling through content, especially on websites like news and magazine websites and whatnot, when you start scrolling, uh, the the interface kind of on the outside kind of goes away and just really just it's just the content that kind of fills the screen. All all the other kind of noise and stuff kind of goes away. It syncs very well across your devices, and you can really really tweak and really manage your privacy settings and make it so that you know you're not giving away too much to. You know, all these malware and all the, the other kind of bull crap out there. When you put it up against other browsers like Chrome and whatnot, just sit. I mean, just there's no real competition. Now, the, there are some ones recently that, that I do need to make mention of that are that have been pretty good. I can't believe I'm going to say this. Microsoft Edge. Now, this is something that uh, the Mike had brought up on a previous episode not too long ago. That he uses Edge and uh, says that it's uh, gotten pretty good and it's very secure and private and whatnot. I've tried it, not on my Mac, but I did try it on my iPad recently, and I gotta say, he's right. It's actually pretty damn good. It runs really smooth, and 
you know, they're not collecting much data off of you on that. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's pretty impressive. It's uh, it's very simple and does exactly. You can log in with your Microsoft account, and again, you can really tweak your privacy settings. Really choose, you know, what you want and do not want to, to send to them when it comes to analytics and whatnot. Uh, another one that I want to make mention of too that uh, people have been telling me about and didn't really know much about until I tried it was one called Brave. And um, very much in that same vein, it's a very, very simple, very private web browser. You can basically just use it without logging in of any kind. So you're basically kind of incognito on there and just uh, browse the, the web. Now, the only catch with that is it's not really saving too much. So when it comes to going to websites, it's kind of like you're doing it for the first time kind of every time. That's the only catch with uh, that type of browser. So know that kind of going into it that... Yeah, it's, you're sacrificing privacy for some usability there to a certain extent. It, again, it really all just kind of depends on what type of user and just how maybe how kind of insecure you are with some of this kind of stuff. So if you're somebody who's a little bit paranoid, Brave and Edge is something that's uh, that's really good. Uh, somewhere kind of in the middle, Safari. Uh, like I said, if you're on a, an Apple platform, whether it's the iMac, whether it's the iPad or the iPhone, it's really hard to not recommend Safari. Everything syncs across all your devices with a feature called Handoff. When you move from one device to another, you can literally just pick up where you've left off. And I mean literally. Um, it, it just and it's, I don't, I don't even know how they do it, to, to be honest. That's something I have to ask an Apple person whenever I get a chance. How do you guys do this handoff thing? It's really, really cool. You literally go from one device to another. It's seamless and incredible. Can't say that with any of the other um, web browsers out there. Safari is the way to go when you have the Apple platform. Chrome is pretty good, but I mean, you're giving up a lot when it comes to privacy and, and with Google and whatnot, and with all the plugins that you need to do to run a lot of this kind of stuff. Yeah, it, it, it gets a little clunky, and it really Chrome is a big hog on your system. If you have a computer that doesn't have a ton of RAM, it doesn't have the fastest processor in the world, Chrome is going to slow you down. Safari is optimized for the platform if you're an Apple user, and that's the one to go with. So next on some more Apple stuff, another question I've been getting to, from some of our listeners is people are, like I said earlier on, people are catching on that, yes, I am very, very pro Apple. Most of my computer type devices are an Apple device. Like I said, iMac, iPad, watch, iPhone. I just, I love their products. And people are asking me, do you, Joe, do you have anything negative to say about the Mac at all? And I, I will say that there is, one big negative that really does stand out when it comes to especially the iMac and when it comes to gaming. There's just no beating around the, the bush with this, folks. When it comes to gaming on the Mac, it is pretty crappy. Got to be blatantly honest with you. The, the Mac, App Store, the, the game selection is very, very sparse on there and there just isn't much content and the games that are there are frankly very overpriced i'm talking you're looking at paying almost double for some of these ones that i've seen that there's some games that are like four and five years old that are still in the the 50 and 60 dollar range and you're essentially paying full price if not more for a strictly digital game this isn't physical at all you're not you don't have a disc or a case or a box or anything to have in your hands this is strictly digital and you're paying a very very high price so the mac App Store for gaming, I just I can't recommend it. Steam, 
you're going to run into some issues as well, especially if you have a newer Mac and if you're running the newer version of the operating system, which is Mac OS Catalina. Any games that are not 64-bit are just not going to work. I found that out when I upgraded to, to Catalina. Essentially, over three-quarters of my game library on Steam, the ones that are compatible with the Mac, just don't work with the the new operating system. And just there's no word. It doesn't look like there's going to be any kind of fix or workaround for this. If you are running the new operating system, there's going to be literally a handful of games that you're going to be able to use that are 64-bit and you're just basically out of luck. The only kind of workaround when it comes to that would be to do the dreaded thing on a Mac and to run boot camp and try and run Windows on a Mac, which just, that's that's an idea that I still have never tried and I really don't have the intent on ever doing that. For me, just doing something to this computer that runs very, very well and is optimized, doing something that isn't necessarily what it is intended for just scares the hell out of me. And, and just honestly, I, I have no intentions on, on boot camping or running windows on this uh, computer that I have just for the sake of playing some games. As I mentioned earlier, when it comes to playing games, my gaming platform of choice is the Xbox one X on a large TV with surround sound. When it comes to the, the computer, this thing is literally a productivity device for me. I use it to get work done. I use it to do this podcast. When it comes to gaming, I mean, there's maybe like, one game that I play on here very, very occasionally, Diablo 3, runs very well on this. With the exception of that, this isn't really a gaming device for me. It is a productivity tool when it comes to that. So yep, that's really the only negative that I can really say about this gaming. Just a, It's just a, really it's a no-go when it comes to the Mac platform. Now, something a little bit different. For this episode, as I mentioned, going forward for the next little while, I will be doing this solo. So I figured to do something a little bit different here, we're going to do some game reviews here. And the one for this week here is a very, very cool one that I picked up recently. It is called Wreckfest, and it is available for the Xbox One platform. So the original Xbox, Xbox One X, the Xbox One S, which is the one in between, and the, the digital one, you can buy that. Uh, for that one as well, the any of the PS4 platforms, and of course the PC on Steam. Um, no, <laughs> like I just mentioned, there is no option for the for the Mac for this. Uh, developed by Bugbear and published by THQ Nordic, which I th- was very interesting because, as far as I knew, not too long ago, I thought that they were basically done as a company. But apparently not, because I'm holding the the game in my hand. So obviously that they're doing some stuff. This is very interesting. When it comes to racing games, uh, I'm pretty particular because in, in, a, in a past life, I, I was a semi-professional racer. And so I know that how a race car and how a car should handle under those conditions and whatnot. And I got to say, just uh, the first thing off the bat here, that this is, when it comes to the way that the cars and stuff handle in this game, probably the best that I've seen. And that's seen quite a bit because, I mean, I've played Fours, i played Gran Turismo and all these other racing games. I mean, they really nailed it with this. I mean, the cars handle exactly like you would expect. And when it comes to crashing, as the name of the game, it would kind of lead you to believe Wreckfest. The, the, the crash physics and the destruction physics, I mean, are just insane. And what's really interesting is when cars crash and when damage happens and on not only cars but on the, on the, the track, all the... 
all the damaged cars and de- the debris stay on the track for the entire race. So essentially the, the, the track is constantly changing because there's going to be cars just kind of sitting in the middle of the track, kind of blocking you. So you got to kind of weave your way around it. Now, what's interesting with this too, is it's not just straight up cars or race cars in this game. I mean, the lineup of vehicles in this is pretty insane. Just to name off a few here, just to give you an idea, we have regular street stock uh, cars. We have full-on racing cars. We have compact cars. We have RVs, school buses, lawnmowers, crop harvesters, sofa cars. I mean, yes, sofa cars. Literally people racing on sofas and big rigs. And and just it's absolutely insane. You can do full-on races around regular kind of circuits, uh, ovals, the figure eight, which is probably my personal favorite. It's the one that I play mainly the most. And the, the racing mode that I play, the most is it's called a banger race, which is essentially it's like a regular race, except you're encouraged to kind of hit and destroy the other vehicles, and when so you don't get penalized for for crashing and taking other racers out. That's kind of the the idea there with that one. Now, and the the, the different vehicles like the the regular car, as opposed to say like the lawnmower and the harvesters, like that they, they handle very very differently as you would expect like a smaller or larger vehicle to handle it, it. It kind of handles accordingly. So they they nailed that aspect of it. And we got twenty five plus tracks. The online multiplayer is surprisingly really really good with this, which is not always the case with these racing uh, games. It, it's a, a very simple kind of layout. They've updated recently as well. It's very fair. You, know, you can vote for tracks. You can have your own uh, private servers. I don't know what. I really don't have anything negative to say about this. The, the, I think probably the only negative comment or uh, critique that I would have about this is that the loading time sometimes can be a little lengthy. Now, even on the Xbox One X, which is right now the most powerful game console on the market, the loading times can be a little excessive. But. It's really not that bad, and it's kind of honestly worth the wait. So if you're into racing games and you like crashing into stuff and just having fun with a racing game to kill some time or you know to play with some friends, even yourself, it's hard not to recommend this. If I have to give a out of 10 rating, this gets a very, very solid 8.5 to a 9. I don't know, I'll go a 9 out of 10. It's, it's, it's not perfect, but it is pretty damn close. All right, guys. Time for tech tip of the week here. And this is another one. Even just doing this podcast for a really short uh, period of time, I I do get questions from people. And this is a pretty interesting one here. And it's just, what do I do with my old and broken and not working technology when it comes to computers, phones, game consoles, all that kind of stuff? It's really kind of up to you. Uh, There's a couple of different ways. You can kind of be like myself. I like to... if especially, well, I have an, actually right beside me here, I have an old laptop that is basically out of commission and I just took it apart. And uh, cause I'd like to actually see all the kind of inner workings and stuff. That's not something I'd recommend for every person out there. Um, you know, don't take apart your technology that is actually working fine. Um, this one is completely out of commission. So, you know, there wasn't any risk of damaging something that I wasn't going to be able to use later. So that's where I kind of like to do. Uh, obviously, the option for most people out there is going to be take it, you know, take it to a recycler, take it to any kind of technology or kind of computer shop, or any of these bigger stores. I think uh, Best Buy, why not? To you know, they'll 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 take the stuff back and they can recycle it or they can send it somewhere to be recycled. There's some things inside that they can kind of recover. A lot of times, there's some 
albeit small amounts of rare earth metals and stuff that are pretty valuable that they can get out of it. The hard drives, maybe the disk drives and stuff they can kind of salvage out of it. I mean, the rest of it is just going to kind of get grinded up, especially some of these plastic ones and whatnot. Um, one thing that, that has changed a lot when it comes to especially computers and whatnot, this idea of selling stuff for parts and whatnot, I mean, that, that hasn't been a thing in quite a while. You used to be able to kind of do that to a certain extent, but I mean, now the way that these devices are built, it, it, it's honestly, once it's done, it's done. Um, there's not too much they can salvage from these things that, with the exception of the Apple ones because of just what they're made out of, uh, which is aluminum for most of the, <clears throat> most cases. It's highly recyclable in the glass and whatnot, so they can get quite a bit out of a out of a Mac or a MacBook and whatnot, but these other PCs that are made out of plastic and whatnot, there's not a whole lot left there to salvage. Um, where I used to, where I live right now, there used to be the the personal computer museum. You may have heard us mention this on a previous podcast. Our friend who's no longer with us, Mr. Sid Bolden, used to do recycling. Uh, some of these devices, if they weren't just if they weren't working, that he would uh, recycle them. Or sometimes, if they were in good condition and were working, he would actually put them in his museum when it was still going. So uh, that was a really good option for us around here. <clears throat> there may be some other people near you that do a similar things. Uh, if you know that something like that exists in your area, that's a great place to, to take your your old or um, unwanted or unworking technology to those kind of places. Or like I said, you know, the, the main place would just be like a like a tech shop or something. Or if the device is still working, it's just one that you want to par with and you're not really going to get any money for. Pawn shops are hard to kind of recommend. You get kind of screwed for those uh, in those places for lack of a better term, uh, some good, well places, Salvation Army, whatnot, they, they can take that thing and they can probably, um, sell or give it to somebody that could get some kind of use out of it. So that's another option there when it comes to that. And like I said, if, if you're myself, if you can, I like to take apart my old stuff that doesn't work anymore and just kind of see how it kind of works. And like I said, cause there's really no repercussions there. It's not like I'm going to lose something that I'm not going to be able to use later. So, I'm going to take a brief break here and I'm going to come back with our final bite segment. And this is kind of an interesting one and it is going to revolve around gaming. And this is a real hot topic that has been going wrong, been going around for quite a long time here and it has to do with video games and violence. So we'll be right back. This week's episode is brought to you by Microplay in Brantford, Ontario, Canada, located at 265 King George Road. Visit a Chris and the gang for all of your video game needs. All right, guys, Big Joe back here on HTM Tech. Now, for our final bite segment here, I'm used to kind of doing these things with a with another person here. But I'm going to try my best to kind of get through this here. And we're talking about violent video games and how it's supposedly harming children and just people in general and making them violent. Now, this is something that, that I can't believe in 2020 that we're still kind of beating this dead horse with this thing here. For, for lack of a better term here, I, I think it's a lot of fucking bullshit. I'm just going to come on and say it. I mean, I am 39 years old. Coming this summer, I'm going to be 40 years old. I have been gaming for the better part of those 39 years. I mean, I have played a lot of violent video games. I mean, I've probably played the majority of the ones that would be considered like the ultra-violent video games and whatnot. You know, they're talking like your, your manhunts here, the, the original ones like Doom and these shooter games and whatnot. And I, I have no desire... And I don't feel influenced by any of these games to want to pick up a gun and actually do those things that I 
and playing in those games. It, it's it's so far fetched to me. And one of the things that I've been seeing with this too, and it, just the the concept of it and the idea of it is just it's so absurd to me. And it has to do with the, the controllers themselves, and, and I, I can't remember who it was. And they were saying that, oh, holding this controller and using and playing these shooter games, it, it's 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 like you're using a real gun. Now I'm holding an Xbox One controller in my hand right now, and this, uh, it doesn't look and it doesn't feel like it. The, the, this argument and and the, this idea with this, it just it's so absurd. Like I'm I'm kind of stumbling over myself trying trying to. To, to kind of figure this out, just the, the, the whole idea and their argument that oh, these controllers are like guns, like get the hell out of here. Uh, it, it doesn't look and it, it doesn't, it's not simulating a gun at all. Like, like when you, I've shot a real gun. I mean, it's been a long time, but I mean, there is just no similarity whatsoever. I mean, it's literally a game controller is a piece of plastic with buttons on it. And, and the gun is completely different. It's heavy and just, it's, it, it bigger guns like they that they hurt and whatnot when you even just the, the person shooting them i mean just it's the the argument that game controllers are similar to guns is just asinine and this argument that violent video games create violent people i mean there's just no proof there's no in all the research and everything that's been done about it there's just there's nothing to support that this is the case and some of these politicians and whatnot, I don't want to name names. I don't want to get too political here, but they're reaching for straws on, on this stuff. And I, I don't understand why there's other mediums, you know, like movies and TV and music and whatnot. They're just as violent and could be arguably just as influ- influential, but yet they don't get treated the same and they, they don't get thrown under the bus when it comes to, you know, these mass shootings and whatnot. And they try and blame video games. Like it's just, it's, they don't have a leg to stand on when it comes to to the stuff. And I, like I said, I can't believe in 2020 that we're still having this argument and this debate when it comes to this. Because for me, there there just is no debate. Video games are, are, are a true creative platform. Now, to me, they're on the same playing ground, up to the same level as TV and full-on Hollywood movies. They're, they're just as good, just as much work goes into them, just as much storytelling and, and, and whatnot. And even more so because it's, it's interactive. And I don't know what else to, to kind of say with this. It just, it's the, the, the whole concept that violent video games create violent people. Just, just, there's no evidence. There's no research to prove that. And I'm, I know a lot of other people my age, even my co-host Money Mike would say that Violent video games do not cause us to be violent people. And that's it for that for now. I'm sure this is probably going to be a topic that will probably come up again at some point. I mean, I'm sure some other scenario will happen where it will come up again and we'll have to reiterate it again and try and defend our medium. And these politicians need to just realize, and a lot of them are older people too, which is shocking, right? That they they think that that this is the case, that uh, games mess people up and they're just the way that they word it too. It just, you can tell that they're, they're not educated and they're uninformed on the topic and they're just looking to, maybe because they're angry or who knows, but uh, yeah, uh, for now, like I said, the answer is no. Video games do not create violent people. And at the same time, if you have very, very young children, obviously I'm not going to say, you know, let them play like Grand Theft Auto or Call of Duty and all of these mature rated games. Those are meant for adults. You know, so at least, you know, let make them wait until they're at least like in the 16, 18 year old range. Uh, if they really insist on playing it, if you're kind of okay with it, I would just 
maybe for the first few times, maybe you kind of just sit on the the session when they're playing for the first time and just kind of walk them through a little bit and uh, you'll have the added benefit of playing video games with your kids, which I think is pretty cool too. So that is going to wrap it up for that segment and I hope that we don't have to revisit that too often because that's the, the, the whole idea is so absurd. Anyways, we're going to end off the episode like we usually have been now recently and I have an interesting one here and this ties into my video game review for the week and this is actually from Wreckfest on uh, the Xbox One, the PS4, and the PC. And this is the, the music that actually plays on the, the menu when you go into this game, and it's, it's pretty damn good. So I thought, you know what, we'll end it off with that this week here. So here we go with Globalix and Electromechanics, and we'll see you guys on the next one. <laughs> 